Alright, if you'll turn your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John 2, we'll be going through um, verses 12 through 17. 1 John 2. Yeah, it's been a crazy. Uh, First John, what? First John. Two, verses 12 to 17. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would bless this exhortation, that you'd speak to us from your word, that we would believe and obey your gospel, that you might be glorified and that your people might be built up. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the late 80s and early 90s, uh, bumper sticker culture was going full bore in America. And uh, people had bumper stickers all over their bumpers and other parts of their cars. And one in particular uh, I remember stands out. And it was this. He who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> you saw it everywhere. It went well into the 90s. And there was even a version for, uh, I'm assuming women, because it said, she who dies with the most clothes wins. Mm. <laughs> A little twist on it. Now the original one, he who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, I was surprised to find out that there was actually a person who they attribute that quote to. And it's Malcolm Forbes, uh, the founder of Forbes Magazine. The magazine for entrepreneurs and business uh, executives and people who uh, uh, love that kind of thing. It was attributed to him. But is it true? Is it true? We're continuing our look through the book of 1 John. And, uh, it, it, you know, every time uh, we don't have an available preacher, I fill in so you get uh, 
my exhortations out of the book of 1 John. And this one, uh, we're going in order. So in chapter 1, John establishes his apostolic authority because he's writing to a congregation, congregation that had suffered a church split where there were those who thought or who said that they were the true apostles. And John is writing and saying, no, they're not. I am. And he's established his authority and he calms their hearts because apparently these people were very disruptive and taught things contrary to the scriptures and people were uncertain of their eternal state and of the gospel. And so, so John uh, writes this letter telling them what the true gospel is and what the true light is and what people from God are like and what people from Satan are like. And he assures them that they're forgiven in Christ. And he talks about the new commandment that's given. And it's, uh, the commandment was, was new and it was old. Like they were always told to love their neighbor as their self. But Jesus added a new twist to it in that he said, love your neighbor as I have loved you. And so Jesus says, the motivation is because of what Jesus has done for us. We are therefore to love others in the same way, and that is self-sacrificially. Jesus gave his life for us that we might have life, and we are to love the same way. All right? And here we get to verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, little children. So he addresses them finally. There's really no... He doesn't address anyone the beginning of the letter, but here, uh, in what we call chapter 2, verse 12, he finally addresses the hearers of the letter. And he says, I'm writing to you little children. And that is his term of affection for the congregation. He calls them little children. But then he goes into and says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then he addresses two other groups of people, fathers and young men. And there's not a, uh, among commentators, they're not in all agreement of who these recipients are. Is he talking to the whole church, and within that church are there two groups of people, or is he talking to three groups of people, children, fathers, and young men? And for our purposes, it doesn't really matter, because what he is, he is addressing the whole congregation, and what he is saying applies to everyone who believes. It applies to fathers, older people. That term can be used to mean older men like, like us. And even uh, our dear brother Dustin in the back would be considered an older man in Bible times because he is over the age of 28. People didn't live that long then. <laughs> it was a tough world. Uh, and then young men when in their prime, 22 to 28, so the scholars say. And then children, little children. But what he's saying applies to everyone. He says this, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So he's assuring them that it's okay. Your sins are forgiven. The gospel's true. Everything's going to be okay. And then he says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And this is a fulfillment of what we read in the uh, meditation this morning from Jeremiah. 
the uh, prophecy of the new covenant and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more knowledge of God knowing God uh, is the fruit of the spirit is, is the fruit of meaning the, the fruit of our salvation the spirit dwells in us and we know God and our sins are forgiven. Because if they're not, we could not be born again. I'm writing to you fathers, verse 13, because you know him who is from the beginning. And he, John talks about in, in, in chapter uh, 1, the early verses, that he's him who is from the beginning, he's speaking of Jesus. He's saying, you know Jesus. And then he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And he uses the term evil one, the personification of evil, and that's Satan. He, 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 call, uh, he, he uses the word the devil uh, coming up in uh, chapter 3. But also here, he's, uh, the evil one is synonymous with the devil. So he's saying that we have overcome the devil. And we know further on, he tells us what has overcome the world, what has overcome the devil is our faith. In Jesus. So we have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. So he's reiterating this. He's using a, a rhetorical device. The culture was oral. So they would use these rhetorical devices like a repetition. So people would remember. They remember things. And to, to this day, people use them all the time. Like, preachers are famous for alliteration, right? They have their uh, three points that start with P, you know, or whatever, or T, or, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, same thing. They had these rhetorical devices go back as long as men have been speaking uh, in public, or mankind, excuse me, men and women. He says, uh, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So he encourages them. He tells them what God has done for them, and what's in them, who is in them, and how they have power and strength in the Lord. And that you already have overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, because of what Jesus has done. Now we fight today. And so that's why he goes on here with this exhortation here. And he has a little, uh, you know, uh, no sermon is complete without application, as uh, my, uh, one of my professors, Dr. Johnson, always said, that if there's no application, it's not a sermon. Well, here's the application. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desire. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here John introduces another uh, dualism. And he uses the, the, uh, the picture of the world versus God's kingdom. So when he says the world, he does not mean, you know, geography. You know, uh, uh, plant life, sea life, animal life. 
uh, that aspect. What he means is the system, right? The system. I think the, uh, the title of the sermon is, uh, is it in there? The system is rigged. Yeah, the system is rigged, right? <laughs> the system, uh, to, to, uh, to uh, quote a popular, popular theme in this day and age, the system is rigged. When he talks about the world, he's talking about the system, right? The world is the comprehensive sphere of human life that is, is, that is in control, that is being controlled by the evil one, the devil. The comprehensive sphere of human life that is controlled by the devil. Everything in the world, moral, spiritual impulses uh, that determine how people live, that's what he's talking about the system, the man, right? The man, not, not the true man, Jesus, but the worldly man. The system is trying to keep us down. That's what he's saying. That's what he means by the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he's saying there's the world and there's the Father's world. Okay? Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. So he's, he's, he's contrasting two communities, two ways of living. And he goes into detail. Um, verse 16, for all that is in the world. Here, here, here he describes three things that make up the world. The desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The desires of the flesh, and the desires of the world, and the pride of life. These are pretty descriptive, and, and they describe a way of living. All right? it does not, it's not talking about like uh, if you sin you know, in any of these three areas. He's talking about a life that is characterized. Uh, earlier he talks about walking in darkness. This is what walking in darkness looks like. When, when the New Testament says walking in the light or walking in darkness or walking in, it means our life characterized. It doesn't mean we'll never sin because he makes that very clear uh, in the preceding verses that um, he says, my little children are writing these things that you, so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he's talking about someone whose life is all about this. He's talking about someone who has a bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Right? I'm not trying to judge anyone, because I'm sure there were Christians who had that other, but I would hope not. Because that is exactly the attitude of the world. It says, the desires of the flesh. Um, a lot of times the term flesh is negative, but not always. Because it talks about Jesus coming in the flesh. It's the same word. So he, his incarnation, flesh isn't always evil, but what it's saying is there's natural desires that our flesh has, all right, for food, for uh, you know, looking at pleasurable things, for uh, you know, sex, for uh, uh, affirmation, you know, all these things. They're not necessarily bad, but cor a corrupted nature corrupts them. And so that's what it's saying. It goes beyond what's normal. 
the lust of the flesh is, uh, some, some versions say, this version says the desires, others, you know, I remember, uh, you know, maybe it's King James's lust of the flesh. Uh, uh, that's what characterizes the world. Just wanting to satisfy that desire that isn't bad, but going beyond it. Going beyond it. The desires of the eyes, same things. It's like our eyes are never satisfied with what I see, with what they see. My eyes are the same, you know. We're, right? Like, like a perfect example of this is social media. You can just scroll and scroll and scroll, and your eyes are never satisfied, right? It's it's real, and 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 I think that social media actually, uh, if someone has a proclivity towards a sin, it's Social media can be very bad for them, just because your eyes are never satisfied, and then it triggers you to where these desires are never satisfied. You envy, right? You envy what other people's have, and it can be a real problem. And the pride of life, pride of life—that's an interesting phrase. Um, there's two words that are used uh, in the New Testament for life: zoe, which which means life, like we're living, and then bios. Uh, which means like the stuff that life is made of, like provision, like food and, and gathering of possessions. That's what it's talking about, the pride of life. It's personified in the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins. He who gets the most stuff wins, right, as Malcolm Forbes says. As many people in the 80s and the 90s, I guess, believe, and people in this day still believe. Because you, as you're scrolling through your social media, I'm sure you've seen all the uh, positive affirmations about getting things, about you know, about manifesting these desires so you can attain wealth and riches, right? It's it, it's uh, it's proverbial uh, how uh, this sin is so pervasive in our world, in the world, and John is exhorting, the Spirit is exhorting us today to not fall victim to that trap, not to love that. It says here, is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's from the devil. The devil rules that realm. Now Jesus has conquered the devil, and so now we don't have to fall victim to that trap. So he exhorts us to flee it. And it says here, this is why. A lot of those things aren't bad. They really aren't. But they're a waste of time. There's kingdom work to do, or there's just, you know, there's things that benefit you more, right? Uh, Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So some, a lot of these things, they don't profit us. So don't pursue them, right? They're, you know, uh, they're good things. Like, like cooking is good, you know, and it tastes good. My wife's a great cook. But you can go too far with it. You know, surfing, exercise is great. And you can uh, ruin your life over it. You know, just, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Uh, So he says here, this is the reason why. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. All that stuff, all these things, are going to be gone. They're going to be gone. And as I age, uh, I take less pleasure in them. 
uh, I was having a conversation with my dad. He's 88, and, and he was, <laughs> we were talking about uh, mobility, and, and I was encouraging him to be active, and no, Dad, if you don't do that, you'll ne you'll, you won't get up out of your seat if you don't keep getting up out of your seat. And he's going, son, you don't really realize, one day you'll know what I'm talking about when you say, when, you're, when your body fails you. And I didn't really get to tell him, but I, I said, I know that already right now. My body is failing me at 57, you know, 56. I have a few more weeks. I understand, and Daniel understands, his calf. Same thing happened to me last year. Our body fails us. But John says here, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those things done in Christ will last for eternity. And believers, we will, at the, re at the resurrection, we, our bodies will be new, or excuse me, not new, changed. They will be perfected. They will put on incorruption. And, 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 and so we won't suffer all these effects that the slow, gradual decline that happens to the world, happens to our bodies because of the fall. And also, all that stuff that we are worried about won't abide. It doesn't matter. So was Malcolm Forbes wrong? Yeah, he was wrong. He who dies uh, with the most toys does not win. Does not win at all. They'll just be gone. You know, just nothing. They'll be at zero, you know. Someone else came up with a bumper sticker at the same time that I saw, and it was this. Uh, he, uh, he who dies with the most do toys dies twice. So it, it was like it was it was really judgmental, meaning that they will suffer. If your hope is in your toys, you'll die twice: first physical death, and then the second death. Eternal punishment in hell. And I was, you know, I, I had neither of those bumper stickers on my car, but uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. If, if if your hope is in this world, the love of the Father is not in you. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Alright? So go out and be doers, right, of the word? Well, yes, that's true, but I leave you with this. This should remind us of Jesus. Jesus emptied himself for us. And though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. Though he was perfectly holy and righteous, he became sin in our place. Though he was the author of life, he died in our place. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead because he, his death, in his death, he swallowed up death in victory. And he rose from the dead that we too might raise and we will raise with him in the resurrection. And we will live eternally with him. He is worthy of our worship and our lives. So let's pursue him and his kingdom and, and uh, works that last eternally. And it, I'll, I'll close it. It reminds me of a song that uh, a certain very popular pastor had on his radio show that was very popular. Um, 
that was Chuck Smith. He had a song on his radio uh, show. And at the end, he would play this, just uh, the short, uh, kind of the chorus of the song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his glory, glorious face, and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we look to you. We thank you for your life, death, and resurrection in our place. We thank you for your great love for us, that while we were sinners, you died for us, that you might bring us into your glorious kingdom, the kingdom of life. Now may we walk in the light as you are in the light. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name.